Hey everybody, welcome to episode 111 of the Engage and Equip podcast. This is a resource designed to help form substantive disciples for the local church. My name's Evan Degler, and I'm a pastoral intern here at High Point Church. In this episode, you're going to hear from me, Nicole Kyle, Alexi Gibson, Jill Reese, Laura Helwig, Aaron Hesse, and John Sikatowski from the Engage and Equip Live on March 11th. We were talking about some of the really practical things of mentoring, how to make time, pointing back to God's word, the role of prayer, and a few others. Thanks for listening. So we've had a number of these um, engaged and equipped talks where I've talked for 35 minutes about something riveting and important, and I've equipped you immensely. You probably feel like the Joan of Arc of Christian ministry. And um, so, but we, I wanted to change it up. You know, you got to keep things, you got to keep things spicy and changing and moving around and different for people now because it's a YouTube generation, right? And so we decided to do engaged and equipped tonight, YouTube style. Yeah. So that's what this is going to mean. I'm going to give a short introduction, and then we are going to have how many? We're going to have seven five-minute speakers on the subject. Okay. So part of engaged equip is equipping everybody, equipping you, but also equipping some of the people on staff who don't get to speak very often, but God is really growing them and using them in lots of ways. And almost everybody on our staff is involved in discipling or mentoring people. It's required. Um, when I hire somebody on staff, I make sure that they know your job is not just music or small groups or communication. Your job is to minister, is to make disciples, is to mentor people. Now, the people who come up here are going to use the word mentoring and discipling interchangeably. They're not actually interchangeable words technically, but, you know, we don't want to get too technical about it, okay? So the word mentor literally comes from the Odyssey. There's a character in that book named Mentor. And his job was to oversee Odysseus' son's development. And so mentor has the connotation of overseeing people developing through life stages. Okay? The word disciple is actually a biblical Christian word that comes from the Hebrew tradition of rabbis, where the disciple is the disciple of a master teacher. And their job is to learn and embody the teaching of the master in the relationship of a learner who is under the full authority of the teacher. Okay, So it's a teacher-learner relationship, but it's a holistic kind of relationship where you're learning a lifestyle and a way of being, not just a set of principles. Does that make sense? And so when we try to help people grow more toward, towards Christ and to become more like Christ, we're often doing both of those things if we have a long-term relationship. We're showing them how to follow Christ oftentimes through changes in life stages. And changes in life stages are critical moments of discipling people. That's why we want what kind of church? An intergenerational church. Yes, yes, yes. Okay? But it is also a relationship of discipleship. We want to learn ourselves to obey everything Jesus taught. And then we need to teach others to obey everything Jesus taught. Does that make sense? Okay, so um, each speaker is going to talk about a different aspect, a different important building block of discipleship. Now, um, the last thing, you will see some slides. I think almost everybody has slides. Um, all of these slides or slash notes are available at highpointchurch.org slash mentoring. If you go to highpointchurch.org slash mentoring, because you want to get at some of this stuff later, you can, because it is at highpointchurch.org slash mentoring. All right, who's first? Evan, the intern is first. Hi, uh, my name is Evan, and like Nick said, I am the pastoral intern here at High Point, and it's good to be with you all this evening. So think back in your life to someone who really invested in you a lot spiritually. This could be when you were involved in a campus ministry. It could be involved, or when you were 
um, like in a church or something, one of the pastors here. Um, for me, one of these people is a guy named Jared, who my freshman year asked me uh, if we could meet for discipleship uh, once a week for about an hour, and uh, he took the time to invest in me. He made time for discipleship for me. Um, Ephesians 5, 15 through 16 says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So we should mirror Jesus to make time for discipleship. And I think we all struggle with making time for discipleship because we just struggle to believe that it is this thing that changes lives and that glorifies God. And this could be for a few reasons. It could be just because you're really busy. You just have kids, you go to church every week, you go to small group, you try to do stuff on the weekends, and you don't know where you have time for another thing. Or maybe you do have time, but you just don't know if someone would want to learn from you. You just don't feel like you're ready to invest in someone else. But what I want to show is that first that we should mirror Jesus in this, that we should follow his example. Jesus spent most of his time traveling and just doing life with a few choice others. Luke chapter 6 says that Jesus chose just 12 guys to spend most of his time with. And this was just time working and playing and eating and just doing normal life stuff together. And one really powerful way, I think, to illustrate this is with this um, example, that if you were some, like, Billy Graham evangelist on steroids, and you could somehow convert a thousand people a day to Jesus, it would take you about 20,000 years to convert everyone alive today. And they'd be, like, mostly dead by then, so that wouldn't do much. But if you could just disciple one person a year, and then they turn around and discipled one other person, and so on, and so forth, the whole world would be discipled in about 30 years. That's crazy. And Jesus obviously modeled this perfectly, and we should follow him in this. So as we mirror Jesus, we should make time. And this is going to involve sacrifice. It's going to involve sacrificing time, time that you maybe would rather be doing something else. It's going to be uh, sacrificing convenience and comfort and sacrificing security in your life. So there are two big ways that we can sacrifice to make time for discipleship. The first way is to cut things out of your life so you can fit in discipleship. And um, I like to use the three-year hindsight test, is what I call this, which is that imagine yourself three years from now looking back at your life how it is today. If you can honestly say that you are glad that you do everything in your life that you do currently, then that's great. Then keep your week exactly the way it is. But if you wish that three years from now you'd look back and you'd change things in your week, then maybe don't watch the Great British Baking Show for 10 hours a week. Do something else instead. And the second way is to invite people into your life. And in this way, they can see in discipling people in this way that your life is just normal and the gospel infused together. And they can be like, oh, you have to change diapers and do laundry too? So do I. And also God will give you joy as you make time to disciple someone. You will have joy that God is choosing to use you, not because he needs you, but because he wants to use you out of love. And God will give you joy that you get to see someone else grow and you get to be a big reason for that. And that God will grow you yourself and that you will be more built up in your faith. So since Jesus made time for discipleship in his ministry, and in all of us through other people, we should mirror him 
and we should make time for discipleship too. All right. Uh, the nice thing about this is that we don't have ads like you normally would on YouTube. So, Okay, my name is Nicole, and I'm going to talk to you about getting off to a good start. So uh, a lot of us are excited about the idea of mentoring, but we don't exactly know how to choose somebody that we should mentor. So I'm going to talk about two things to think through when you're starting to decide who you're going to mentor. The first is picking the right person, and um, here are a couple ways to think through that. The first is a question of stewardship. Who has God already put in your life who he might have there in your life so that you can mentor them? Think through your ministry areas, think through your neighbors, think through family members, um, and they might be right there in front of you. Now, some of you might think, I, I literally don't know anyone. Okay, well, if that's the case, expand your network. Ask somebody in your life, hey, do you mentor someone? How did you find them? Ask around. Um, also, I would be willing to bet that if you took at least just 10 minutes to write a list of all the people in your life and to brainstorm ideas, you would be able to come up with at least one person. And if expanding your network and brainstorming doesn't work, that's fine, because you can just volunteer in the youth group. And then there are a bunch of people right there that you can mentor. <laughs> the next thing to think about is, are they ready to be mentored? So a helpful acronym that I learned when I was a college student was F-A-T. So are they faithful? And this is kind of confusing because isn't the whole point of mentoring someone to help them grow in their faith? Yes, but do they show um, some type of character that you can trust that they are faithful in their relationship with Jesus or that their trajectory towards growth is there? So are they faithful? A, available. Do they have time in their schedule? Are they interested in this? Do they want to make it a priority? And then T, teachable. Do they show that they want to grow, that they want to learn? Are they willing to take correction from you? Are they interested in growing more in their relationship with God? So who in your life is already there? And then are they ready to be mentored? The next thing that you'll want to think about when you're starting this relationship is what's the purpose of this mentoring relationship? Because not every mentoring relationship is going to have the same purpose. Some people are looking for a mentor because they're a new Christian and they want to learn basic um, disciplines, like maybe it's reading their Bible. Or someone else might want a mentor because they're walking through a really difficult situation, like if their parents are going through a divorce and they need someone to help them through that process. Those two purposes are different, so that's going to look different. That's why it's helpful to have a purpose because it will tell you what your time together is actually going to look like and what you'll spend your time doing. Uh, it's also helpful because then you can know, am I actually achieving this goal? And then lastly, it'll help you know if and when this relationship can end because not every mentoring relationship is going to be a lifelong relationship. The reason that finding the right person and the right purpose is helpful is because they let you know if something is off in the relationship later on, and then they let you know if you might need to have the right parting of ways. Because sometimes we think that uh, we have this expectation of what relationships, mentoring relationships are going to look like, and we think, this is going to be my best friend forever, or like this is going to be like Luke Skywalker and Yoda, and that's what it's going to be. We don't always uh, get that experience. So um, some Sometimes we think that if we just don't have chemistry with that person, that's a good reason to end the relationship. I would challenge you on that a little bit to consider more if, again, if this is a question of stewardship and if this person is committed to growth, then there may be a reason God has you in this, even if the chemistry isn't there. So about a year and a half ago, there was a girl who was new to our church. She was dating a guy who was a Christian, and she thought she wanted to follow Jesus but wasn't sure. So she wanted a mentor. So she and I started meeting. There wasn't great chemistry. We didn't hit it off like I hoped maybe we would. 
but we continued to meet because she wanted to grow and she had a great reason for wanting mentoring. Now, sometimes the, uh, the nature of the relationship has changed. So let's say it starts as a mentoring relationship, um, but then later they realize they just want a friend. Not everybody has time for that, and that's okay. But you could say something to that person like, you know, I don't think we need to keep meeting for mentoring, um, but maybe getting connected to a small group would be a great next step for you. That's totally fine. Help them find community. Or maybe you've reached that goal, the purpose of the relationship. This girl I told you about before, about three months in, she's like, yep. I want to be a Christian. Great. Okay, cool. So we didn't need to keep meeting for mentoring. Um, now, what if the person has changed? We talked about finding the right person who's ready to grow. If that has changed and they're you know, no longer taking your correction or your teaching or something in that nature is different, bring the issue to them. Tell them that you've observed this for the past couple of months and encourage them to change. Say that you want to see them grow in this. You would love for them to change this and then give it time. You don't need to end it right away. Give it time. But then if they don't change, it's okay to end the relationship. You can grieve that it's sad, but it's okay to end it. Finding the right person and the right purpose will help set you up for success in the relationship of a good foundation. And again, let you know if you need to part ways. Woo. Yoda, I am not. <laughs> but I am Nick's wife, Alexi. I'm also not on staff. But I was nominated to talk about listening, which is kind of an oxymoron, I think. Can we all just listen? Well, then no one will be talking. Okay, so here's what I have to say about listening. The, the Bible says, A fool finds no pleasure in understanding, but delights in airing his own opinion. A fool finds no pleasure in understanding, but delights in airing his own opinion. In other words, those who aren't good listeners really love to hear what they have to say about stuff. And they don't really enjoy listening to what other people have to say. And then he who answers before listening, that is his folly and his shame. He who answers before listening, that's his folly and his shame. So the person who wants to quick jump to an answer actually just loves to hear the sound of their own voice and aren't really, isn't really interested in really trying to understand what the other person's saying. We oftentimes will kind of set ourselves up by asking questions we already know the answers to, just waiting for that moment to, you know, kind of like show off the fact that I just thought about this and I've got all my answers figured out. That's bad listening. Don't do that. Um, so folly and shame, this is something, it's kind of a judgment. And I think that we need to kind of feel a little uncomfortable right now because we're not gonna be good listeners if we don't look and figure out what about how we listen is actually kind of being foolish. Are we planning on what we're gonna say and are we trying to form our thoughts so that people are impressed with all of our knowledge and all of our understanding? Or are we setting ourselves up to be good listeners? Um, now here's the thing, it feels so good to be listened to, doesn't it? It feels so good. We feel significant, we feel loved, we feel like we have this safe place to share our feelings and our thoughts. We have the person's undivided attention and that just is so good. It also, um, without being interrupted, yeah, it also builds trust. We have this opportunity to just say how we feel and the person listening gives us their attention. They're interested in what we have to say and trust is, is good. And I, I think it would, I would argue it's actually the most important thing in a relationship um, to have. And, and that's why um, we need to work on being good listeners, to build that trust. The thing is, though, it's so easy. We love to be listened to, but why is it hard to listen? 
why is it hard to listen? Well, we want to be heard. We don't really want to listen, and that's the easy way. So um, here's some of my own thoughts that I've learned over the years about listening well and what to do and what not to do. So don't talk. Listen. If you want to talk, just shut up. Don't talk. Ask the questions. Um, oh, so a good sign and a good litmus test for yourself to see whether or not you're actually listening well is if the person says, hey, what do you think about what I'm saying? They ask you to tell them what you think. So that's a good sign of trust and a great indicator that you're doing a good job. Um, ask answerable questions, not the questions that set you up to show off what you know. Ask answerable questions that, that pry open more understanding about what the person is saying. The who, what, when, where, why questions. Um, don't ask questions that you already have the answers to. Those are loaded questions. Those are fun to set people up because we get to make them look dumb usually. Um, so loaded questions, and that, I have children that like to do that, so I'm well aware, and they've probably learned it from me too actually. Um, so like for example, this is one, when are you gonna stop sleeping with your boyfriend? That is a loaded question. How are you going to read your Bible when you watch so much Netflix? Also a loaded question. More about airing your own opinion, right, than about understanding. So are you gonna tell off your boss and quit your job? A loaded question, don't do that. Instead, say something like this. When do you see God, where do you see God in your relationship with your boyfriend? Um, where do you see God at work? Or what at work excites you? Why, are you? why do you want to be there? What areas of your life do you think God is urging you to grow? Um, is there a passage in the Bible you've read recently that um, has shown you something about him or about you? All of those are these open-ended questions that demonstrate, I'm interested in you, I care about you, and I want to hear what you have to say. And honestly, for me, I need that gut check. I need to center, ground myself in scripture so that I'm not the fool. I'm not taking pleasure in my, my, own, my own words and my own opinions and, and delighting and sharing, and I wanna actually take pleasure in understanding the people who I'm talking with. Um, don't, don't be that fool, right? Take pleasure in the person that you're with. Delight in them. Delight in your mentor, your, your mentee, your friend, your spouse, um, the person that you're with, your disciple. So the message here is don't, don't talk, listen. Hello, I'm Jill, and I'm going to be talking about pointing people to God's word in mentoring. And um, so when you're in a mentoring relationship, the bulk of the conversations that you probably run into are your mentee coming to you with these burning questions. Um, this is the emoji I most identify with, except she is more tan than me. Um, but some of the questions might include, um, for me, I, I mentor younger women, so a lot of the questions are, should I break up with this guy, should I date this guy, or should I marry this guy? Um, but you might also encounter things like, what should I do with my life? Or how do I forgive my friend who hurt me? Or why do I keep making these same mistakes over and over and over again? And in response to these kinds of questions, uh, you will likely have two responses, one of two responses. I've had both. Uh, first, I have so much to say about this. And you can just feel the words and your opinions like rising in your throat and you're just waiting for them to stop talking so you can give your opinion. <laughs> that's sort of what Lexi spoke to. Um, and that's often if you have had have experienced something like that in your life. And two, I have nothing to say about this. Oh no, 
I hope they keep talking so that I can think about what to say when they stop talking. <laughs> um, but despite your response to the questions that your mentee has, um, the reality is that uh, it's not really about the question. It's not really about the boyfriend or the job or the friend. It's um, a spiritual battle that they're fighting. And um, we're all fighting spiritual battles, which require spiritual weapons. Um, Ephesians 6, 10 through 12 says, uh, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And then in the next part of that passage, uh, Paul talks about what he calls the armor of God and putting that on. And there's a lot of components to that which I can't get into right now, all of them, but I want to tell you two things. First, your advice might be really, really good advice, but it is not part of the armor of God. Uh, your, your opinion cannot break spiritual strongholds. <laughs> and that's actually a really, really, really great thing, that the mighty power to fight these spiritual battles belongs only to the Lord. And so you need to direct uh, your mentee back to him. And two, uh, if you don't feel equipped... You are, because God gave us each a spiritual weapon in his word. Um, Ephesians 6 says, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And Ephesians 4.12 says, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Uh, everyone's fighting a spiritual battle, and they need a spiritual weapon, and we have, we have the spiritual weapon that we need. Uh, but a weapon doesn't do any good if you don't know how to use it. So if someone handed me an actual sword right now and told me to fight an actual enemy, I would probably injure myself and not the enemy. <laughs> I don't know how to use a sword. Uh, and people feel this way about the Bible. They don't know how to use the Bible. They don't know how, what Isaiah has to do with the problems they're going through. They don't know how to apply it to their daily life and their questions. And so as the mentor, you get to train them how to use their spiritual weapon. Um, so we're gonna. I'm gonna go through. Oops. I'm gonna go through some practical ways that you can start creating a culture in your mentoring relationship of pointing people back to God's word. Uh, the first one is required. <laughs> you have to read the Bible for yourself. Uh, you don't need a seminary degree to speak authoritatively from the Word of God. the The Word of God is the authority of God. Um, but you do need to grow in knowledge of the Word of God. You need to be. Um, dwelling in it yourself. Some other ideas of what you can do to point people back to God's word. Uh, you can ask your mentee what they're reading in the Bible and how God is working in them through that. That's a really great, great way to uh, start conversation if you sometimes feel like you don't know what to say. Just ask them that question and start it out that way. Uh, you can also, um, as you're listening to them, bring you these questions, these burning questions they have. Uh, try to discern the lies that they're believing that are actually under the questions, and then counter those with truth from Scripture. And then finally, when your mentor asks you for advice, respond with a question. Ask them if they know what the Bible says about that. And if they don't, and if in any of these things even you don't know what the Bible says, that's okay. Tell them you don't know, and look it up together. That's really encouraging to them to um, point them back and discover that together. Because ultimately, um, everyone's fighting a spiritual battle, and they need to know how to use their spiritual weapon for themselves so that they can fight the battles themselves with the Lord. Oh.
Laura, and I'll be speaking on prayer. There's nothing more important in the daily life of a believer than to, be, to come before the Lord in prayer. In a mentoring or discipling relationship, then, prayer is the, one of the highest priorities as you seek the mind of Christ for and with your friend. In the book, With Christ in the School of Prayer by Andrew Murray, he describes prayer as so simple that the feeblest child can pray, yet it is at the same time the highest and holiest work to which man can rise. From my experience, I've identified four common usages for prayer, which you'll see up there. Um, if I know how to use a clicker. Okay. Um, number one would be preparation. So pray when you're seeking to prepare your heart and mind before you meet with someone or at the beginning when you're meeting with, with one another. Ask God to cleanse you from unrighteousness and to open your ears to listen to them and hear the Holy Spirit as he, as he guides you. Pray that your conversation will be honoring to the Lord. Psalm 1914 says, May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Number two would be like a spontaneous prayer. When you sense an immediate need for the ministering of the Holy Spirit, ask the person if you can pray for them and just pray. Um, they may not even know what they need at the moment, but seek the Holy Spirit's direction for them. You can also pray scripture over them, inserting their name as it's powerful to speak the word of God back to him. Psalm 5.2 says, Hear my cry for help, my king and my God, for to you I pray. Um, an example is the other day I saw a friend and we just started talking. Um, I quickly recognized that she was really hurting and I just asked if we could stop and pray for her right there. We gathered together and prayed for her situation immediately. And you will, the more you look for these situations, you will find them. Um, the next one would be intercession. Praying on behalf of another between times together is often referred to in our church as taking prayer requests. We need to be careful not to diminish the importance or power of God in the ministry of intercession. After all, we are imitating our Savior, Jesus Christ, who intercedes for us as he sits at the right hand of God. Ask your friend how you can be praying for them, and what would Jesus pray for them in a certain situation to direct them toward what he may be doing. This is usually when a person is seeking longer-term changes in their life, asking God to work through trials, relationship challenges, character, and heart issues. Instruct them to pray over the issue as well so that we are going to God with this, not me going instead of you to God in this. Um, always return and ask how things have been going and give thanks and rejoice when you see answers to these prayers. Um, an example from my personal life is, is my mentor and I meet every other week and she listens to me while we talk. She gathers up things she can be praying for and we kind of review them before we part ways, and then when we return again, she asks how they've been going. Um, so that's a wonderful thing you can do for another person. Um, Samuel says to King David in 1 Samuel 12, 23 to 24, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you, and I will teach you the way that is good and right, but be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. And then finally, there's cooperative prayer. Praying alongside another person. This may be modeling prayer for them if they are not accustomed to praying out loud with somebody. This may also be praying back and forth over a situation if they're comfortable with that. This can also look like sitting silently before the Lord together until one of you is prompted by the Holy Spirit to pray. Jesus had to teach his disciples to pray. Remember that it does not come naturally to everyone, 
especially when they grew up without an understanding or modeling of prayer in their church or their home. Luke 11:1 1 says, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. I believe that when we pray with humility and gratitude, that God hears our prayers. Jesus says in Matthew 18, 20, For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. This indicates that when people gather together to pray in the will and mind of Christ, he is with us and he's waiting to answer us. Our prayer does not need to be lengthy or eloquent. It only needs to be sincere and out of a pure heart that is truly seeking to honor and glorify God. Andrew Murray says that prayer is fellowship with the unseen and most holy one. The powers of the eternal world have been placed at its disposal. It is the very essence of true religion, the channel of all blessings, the secret of power and life, not only for ourselves, but for others, for the church, for the world. It is to prayer that God has given the right to take hold of him and his strength. It is on prayer that the promises wait for their fulfillment, the kingdom for its coming, the glory of God for its full revelation. So pray when you're in a mentoring or discipling relationship. I'm Erin Hesse, and I'm going to be talking about reading the providences. So I thought that it would be important first if we made sure to define what providence means. So providence means that God sustains, provides for, and governs everything in the universe. It means that he not only sees what's happening, but he sees to everything that's happening. So that doesn't mean he's just passively watching the universe unfold, but he is actively involved in being a part of it. And there's no such thing as coincidence. So the truth that we need to remember about the life of the person that we're mentoring is that God is always working in countless ways that intentionally intertwine. It's true that we'll never be able to understand all that God is doing and see every part of the puzzle when he's putting it together, but God does allow us to see more than we allow a lot of times give ourselves credit for seeing. I want to share a story from my personal life of where I was able to see the providences both during and then after, um, after the fact. So two years ago, almost to the day, Jason and I were living in a one-bedroom apartment, and we had just had an offer accepted on a house, a really tiny two-bedroom house in Middleton, and we were planning to move in June. So up until that point, God had moved really quickly to allow that process to happen, and it was really, really exciting to see that unfold. So when we moved into our home that summer, we decided actually just one year later, so this past summer, um, that for a number of reasons, we were going to try to put the house on the market again. And so since our first experience had moved so quickly, I thought, oh, it'll probably have the same thing happen this time. So oh, I thought, oh, this is great. I know what God would want us to do in our family and as a ministry. And I know that houses are selling really fast. We have an open house on Sunday, so I'm sure by the end of the weekend, we'll have our house sold. So the weekend went by and uh, nothing happened. A couple weeks went by, months went by. We had 50 showings on our house and nothing to show for it. I was so frustrated and embarrassed because I had been asking for prayer about this for months and I thought that God was gonna act in a certain way. And in that time, there were a lot of offers, both receiving and giving, that fell through. And so um, there were a lot of ups and downs throughout all of this. Uh, long story short, um, finally, after about six months, someone did put an offer on our house. That very same day, we drove by a house that we, that caught our eye, we put an offer on it, and we moved into it like a month and a half later. 
So as I look back now, I see a lot of the ways that God orchestrated um, all those moving parts to allow this to happen. And I'm sure you all have had experiences like that as well, where you can look back, and of course, hindsight is 20-20. But what I think is important to see here is that um, God didn't care as much about where we landed and the outcome of what had happened. He cared that I was faithfully looking for his hand in the work that he was doing in our situation. And it wasn't until I started looking that I saw what he was doing. We know from scripture that God has dominion over everything, that he is all-powerful, that he sees everything, and it says that we have no reason to worry because of it. In Isaiah 55, the Lord says, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And later on it says, My word will not return to me empty, but will accomplish all that I desire and achieve and to achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So when you are discipling somebody or mentoring someone and you're seeing these things unfold in their life and you don't know what's to come, reading the providences means helping your disciples see the work of God in the everyday moments of their life, regardless of what the outcome is going to be. The purpose of doing this is to encourage them as you are walking with them through whatever situation. And so I've got a couple steps to talk about um, in ways, ways in which that you can grow in reading the providences. First of all, like what Alexi was saying, you have to listen. You have to listen intently for what God is doing in their life. So listen for themes in both the trials and the blessings that they're experiencing. Listen to their language. Secondly, speak out the providences that you see and the things that the world would maybe call coincidences. Share your observations about the dots that you're seeing and um, as you're connecting them. And um, this can feel a little bit scary and a little bit silly because you don't know what's going to happen. But again, this, the point of this is to encourage and to continue showing that God is actively working in their lives. But the third point is really crucial here. Um, that is to pray for clarity and thanks, with thanksgiving. So constantly be asking for clarity and, trust, and a trusting heart as you perceive the providences that are in your mentee's life. Even if you're wrong about exactly what God is doing, it's not going to hurt to thank him. He's, we know that he's always working. We know that he, what he's doing is good. And so to be in communication with him, seeking that clarity and trusting that what, he has, what his plan is, is, is good, then that's the right track that you want to be on with your, the person you're mentoring. And then finally, remember that it's usually easier to see the themes in another person's life than it is your own. So it might seem crystal clear to you what is happening in the person that you're mentoring, and it, you might get really frustrated about them not being able to see it. Don't get frustrated. Be patient as you walk with them and um, constantly be in prayer and reflection with them about the providences that are in their lives. All right, so the final one that we're gonna talk about is keeping your mentee accountable. So first we're gonna talk, so what is accountability? Accountability is the accounting of your glorifying God in what you do and are. So for example, this is a list of some things that I am. I am a Christian, I am a human, I am an employee, I am a person with a body, I am a neighbor, I am a man, I am a citizen, I am a roommate, I am a friend, Etc. owner of house plants, whatever else. There can be many, many different things that you are, and what accountability is, is it's the accounting of your glorifying God in each of those different things that you do and each of those different things that you are. Um, you, might, uh, you might sit down and ask somebody, how are you doing at what you're doing? That would be a simple way to remember 
this definition. Um, so some things that do and don't work in accountability. First, what doesn't work. One thing that does not work very well is the burden of accountability being on the accountability partner. So if you are mentoring somebody, the burden for accountability should not be on you. The burden of, the, the burden of accountability needs to be on the person who is being held accountable. They need to both generate the idea that they want to be held accountable to, and they need to be in charge of telling you when they are not uh, sticking to their accountability on that particular thing. Um, another thing that doesn't work very well is peer accountability. And by peer accountability, I primarily mean um, not age, but maturity within whatever you're being held accountable to. Peer accountability tends to often go like this. If you are both struggling with something, you meet together, you say, hey, I messed up in this thing last week. Hey, me too. Grace abounds. Let's try harder for next week. Come back next week, same thing happens. It doesn't work very well. You actually need something to look towards. So when, you're, when you are being held accountable to somebody who is no longer struggling with the thing that you're struggling with, you have something to look to, as well as it actually helps to have somebody that you look up to um, be the one who's holding you accountable, because it gives you uh, their, when their disapproval or their approval matters to you, that actually is a helpful thing in your accountability. Third, cross-gender accountability. We just had the Sexuality Everywhere conference, and one of the things we talked about at that conference is that we bring our masculinity and our femininity with us no matter where we are. And that includes in our accountability relationships. And that just creates certain dynamics within the accountability relationship that tend to not work very well in actually keeping people accountable. So things that do work in accountability. First, being consistent and available. And the main reason for this is because people are liars. Here's what I mean. So let's say you're meeting up with somebody every two weeks and uh, you meet up with them, you tell them that the last two weeks were great, then two days later you mess up at whatever you were being held accountable to. Then you wait 12 days until the next time you're meeting up with them and during that time it's been fine. So when you meet up with them again, you're like, oh yeah, I messed up in this thing, but it was 12 days ago, I'm doing better now. You need to be consistent and available to the person that you are holding accountable because they need to be able to tell you in the moment, hey, I messed up at this thing. They need to be able to shoot you a text or give you a call if you are holding them accountable. Two, be patient and celebratory. I remember when I was working with crew, um, one of the things that they said was that you're gonna be frustrated at how little a student changes in one semester and you're going to be amazed at how much a student changes in four years. And that is, that is true of college students, that is true of humans. So be patient, be celebratory for the things that you do see happening in the lives of the people that you're holding accountable. Three, use the question, what would Jesus want me to keep you accountable to? For the grammar nerds, to what would Jesus want me to keep you accountable? The reason that we ask this question is it, all, there are many different things that you are. For example, Christian, man, employee, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Asking this question gets those things into their proper hierarchy. So they're actually, the things that they're going to then want to be held accountable to are the things that they should be held accountable to. And trust that the Holy Spirit is at work in this person when you're asking this question. So if they say something that you don't exactly think is the thing they should most be held accountable to, still trust that God is working in them and he's going to work in them through that thing that they want to be held accountable to. Four, use the three C's if they confess sin. And the reason to use this is, be, is both so that you're restorative without being lazy and that you're disciplined without being cold. So first, call it sin. The person who has, um, 
who has sinned and is coming to you saying that that happened, needs to say, I sinned, this is how. Two, call it forgiven. You need to pray with that person. You need to say that they can dis they do not need to bear the shame of that, that Jesus bore the shame of that on the cross and preached the gospel over them. Three, call for a change. Metabolize that mistake somehow. Use, use that, uh, that slip up in whatever it is for good um, to increase in vigilance or whatever else. Number five, Remember and remind that God is always working on a hundred different levels at the same time. So you need to remember as you're holding people accountable and you need to remind the people you're holding accountable that God is always working on a hundred different levels at the same time. The person who you're holding accountable to come out of their porn addiction is not going to be the same person minus a porn addiction as they were at the beginning. They're going to be an entirely different kind of person. In the same way the person that you hold accountable to actually doing their devotional times in the morning is not going to be just that person plus devotional times. They're going to be an entirely different kind of person as they put those disciplines into their life. So accountability is important. And those are some things that do and do not work. Thank you guys. I hope you found that helpful. Got some stuff out of that. And um, you don't have to go home and watch YouTube because you got your video quota for the night. Okay, a um, couple things. Uh, thank you so much, Annette, for all you did for the hot chocolate bar and vegetables and stuff. Yeah, Annette is like physically hurting and not feeling super great and like she troopered through. So great job. Um, do you get another cup of hot chocolate before you go to your group or I'm going to have to drink all of it? So it'd be awesome if you do that. And... Um, your room assignments should be here, which means for those of you who are ready to go straight to work, do not put up the walls between A and B and B and C. Because this, yeah, just leave things the way they are, I think is the answer. So, because this is going to be a, a big session in here. Does that make sense? Okay, great. Um, uh, great. All right. Is everybody ready to go to your second hour? Let's end, let's end with prayer for this part here. God, we know that you want us to help people become disciples. We know that you're, you demonstrated how to do this. You never moved, when, when Jesus, when you were here, you never went more than like 120 miles from where you were born. You didn't go to the whole world, but you endeavored to reach the whole world. And you just endeavored to do it by people making disciples of one another. And so, Father, however deep we think we are, however prepared we think we are, however good at this we think we'll be, Please teach us that we are meant to be disciples who make disciples, that we can grow in godliness and people can learn godliness from us, that we can say to people, there is something worth imitating in me if we are really spending our days seeking to better imitate you. We pray that you'd give us the confidence and that you would take away the false humility in us that says we can't do this or we're not good enough. Help us to recognize that not as humility, but as pride and help us to turn to you and to do what you told us to do which is to go and make disciples, that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to you and you gave it to us to do this, and that you would be with us doing it to the very end of the age. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, break. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Engage and Equip podcast. If you'd like to find more episodes, you can go online to highpointchurch.org slash podcast. You can also find us online on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, and other apps like that. 
We hope this episode was helpful to you as you grow in becoming a substantive disciple and a part of the local church. If this episode was helpful to you, rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or otherwise share this episode with a friend. Those are some of the best ways that we have to reach new listeners. So until next time, thanks for listening to this episode of Engage and Equip.